This is episode 65 of the Ardella Training Podcast. Welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, the podcast dedicated to forging athletic bodies around the world. ArdellaTraining.com is the no BS authority in kettlebell and barbell training for today's athlete, coach, and fitness enthusiast. Get strong, build muscle, and forge an athletic body with your host, the scientist of strength, Scott Ardella. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Scott and welcome to this week's episode. Thank you for listening. In this week's show, you're going to hear from Jason Seib. We're going to talk about strength training and his approach to paleo nutrition. Uh, Jason is the author of a great book called The Paleo Coach. And this is a really, really uh, insightful interview. I think you're going to get a lot of value from it. And I really enjoyed the discussion that I had with Jason in this session. So as always, before we get started, before we get into that, I have a few quick announcements. The first one is, as I always mention, uh, if you like the show, please take a minute and drop a quick review in iTunes. The reviews really help to grow the show and it's really easy to do, as I always mention. The next thing is, I, I just wanted to briefly touch on this and I could really spend an entire episode talking about this experience, but I wanted to just mention and and say a, a big thank you to all the great people who just finished going through the April Kettlebell Challenge with me. And uh, it was an amazing month, an amazing five weeks of training, an amazing community that we had. And, uh, you know, I'm just really happy with the experience and the community and, and the results, the results of the program. Uh, definitely, this is something I will, will talk about again in the future. And uh, I debated whether I was going to go into great detail here in this show, but I will save that for a later time just for the, the purposes of, of saving time and getting to the interview. But it was really an amazing experience. And I hope that if you're listening, if you participated with the challenge with me, uh, again, I hope that you got great benefit uh, from it. I hope that you made progress because no matter what, it's all about making progress. And this program really exceeded my own expectations. I know that I had tremendous benefit from it and, um, and got some great results. And uh, it, was just, it was just awesome. So again, this is something I will talk about. I'm kind of going through all the uh, feedback that I got from the program, sorting through some things. And I'll have some announcements on um, the weekly shows moving forward about this, uh, this great kettlebell challenge. I just want to mention that, but if you were a participant, uh, thank you so much for your uh, involvement in going through that, and I hope that you got great results as I did. So thank you so much. All right, let me tell you about Jason before we get into this interview. So Jason Seib, he is the author of uh, a book called The Paleo Coach. This is a book that I, I got some time ago, actually, and I, I thought it was a great book. I really thought that Jason came across very authentic in the way he wrote and the, the great things that he wrote about in this book. I've read a ton of books on paleo, and I learned something from every book out there. So if you see something and someone says, oh, this is a book for someone new to paleo, I don't really agree with that, to tell you the truth, because I think there's always something to learn from every single book that's out there. And I think this is really, really an exceptional book. So uh, definitely check it out. I, I definitely recommend that. 
Jason is also the co-host of a very successful uh, podcast called the Paleo Lifestyle and Fitness Podcast. Jason has been involved in fitness for over 15 years. He became frustrated with a mainstream fitness approach and really the lack of real life-changing results that people attained with the uh, mainstream fitness approach. Uh, his nutritional knowledge is is very extensive, as you're going to hear about in this interview. His methods are unconventional, but very effective. And that's why he's a perfect fit for the open discussion, the very open and honest discussion that we had in this week's show. Uh, Jason certainly does a lot of reading in medical studies and, and great books to keep up on nutrition and, and exercise physiology. And again, you're going to hear and learn about that in this session. He approaches strength training with a very scientific uh, movement-based approach that makes sense to, to him. And his goals are to maximize strength and minimize uh, the risk for injury, which is, again, very much in alignment with my own training approach. And Jason's big goals, he works with uh, normal people to attain a level of health and fitness they never thought possible. And he gets some really, really impressive results. Again, you're going to hear about that. And certainly for more information, go and check out his great book because he's got a ton of case studies in the book. So I'm really, really excited to share this great interview with author Jason Tsai. But again, I think you're going to get a lot of value from it. I encourage you to listen all the way through and I'll have some action items for you at the end of the show. So with that, let's uh, jump into this great interview with Jason Tsai. Joining me right now is paleo expert, author, and fellow podcaster, Jason Seib. Jason, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're going to jump right into the questions, and I wonder if um, you can give a little bit of background um, about yourself as a strength coach and paleo expert for the listeners that aren't familiar with you. Yeah, um, I, uh, I, I own a gym called uh, CPC Fitness and Fat Loss in the Portland, Oregon area. This is kind of like my laboratory and uh, wrote a book called The Paleo Coach and uh, have an online training community called eplifefit.com with Sarah Fragoso. Uh, do seminars around the country with Sarah, um, usually one a month. Um, also have a podcast called the Paleo Lifestyle and Fitness Podcast. Um, we've... Uh, been doing for I guess uh, about 87 episodes or something like that now so it's been pretty popular and uh, I I uh, I train mostly women with fat loss goals women uh, my clientele tends to be women over 30 usually really frustrated with um, you know sort of a yo-yo dieting um, past history that has had a lot to do with gaining or losing and, and regaining weight and um, not, nothing sustainable, chasing tricks and gimmicks. And so paleo is the route that we take for nutrition because it's the only thing that makes sense if you, if you divorce yourself from all your, your biases when it comes to the, the research and you just really look at the data. I yeah. think all roads lead to paleo. And then on the strength and conditioning side, it, you know, walking and lifting heavy weights, and I mean lifting heavy weights, not, you know, pink dumbbells with some really energetic person <laughs> with headphones on jumping around in front of a room. Yeah. Those yeah. are the ways that fat loss happen. And uh, so, I mean, the majority of my, my women, you know, 70% of my clientele is female, 70% of those 
are, are you know, all deadlifting over 200 pounds, irrespective of age or size. You know, that's women into their 50s and even early 60s. And that's, you know, women that from size, you know, zero two to, you know, 22. So that's fantastic. Uh, Lovely approach. Yeah. So do you pretty much stay with the basic barbell lifts? Um, yeah, that's always where we start. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love dumbbells as well, but yeah, it's those lifts. It's, um, you know, the bench press, uh, shoulder press, deadlift, back squat. Those are the, the core of everything we do. Obviously there's just tons of auxiliary lifting, but, um, we start from a place, uh, you know, influenced by guys like Gray Cook and Mike Robertson, Bill Hartman, you know, my, my good friend, Jim Laird, where we first build absolutely perfect movement patterns. And yes. When I say perfect movement patterns, I mean, like, I, I want there to be a, a tear in the corner of my eye when I watch you do a squat or a deadlift before we take you to really heavy weights. So nice. that requires a lot of stability training and, um, you know, getting getting, uh, you know, diaphragms moving right and cores moving right on a three-dimensional um, kind of view and uh, hip positions and things like that. So we get we get very, very detailed. I would say we're sort of the, this is the part where I make, make a few people mad, but uh, we're sort of the antithesis of what you see in your typical CrossFit. You know, we're not you don't walk in and here's your barbell, do a thousand of that lift I showed you two, second, two seconds ago. That's not right. at all what happens with us. And I think those of us that, that coach that way are, are not going to quit being disgruntled about what's happened in this movement when it comes to those kinds of things for so, a long time. But, um, yeah, we, uh, it, it's the big lifts and it's, um, it, it, our goal is absolutely strength. And sometimes that requires um, tricking some of these women into, into doing, uh, doing heavy weights. We have to oftentimes, um, go great lengths to make them realize that we're not going to bulk them up, that this is how fat loss is going to happen. That, you know, when, when, uh, when your average woman comes into the gym, the, the, the two things that, that end up happening first, usually on, uh, on the fat loss side is we need them moving, less as far as huffing and puffing goes and we need them eating more so we're usually having them do the exact opposite of everything that they've been told for the last so many decades of their yo-yo dieting that, that's happened in the past sure we literally need you increasing your calories and and doing less huffing and puffing so um they they cut out cardio and they eat more food but they eat the right foods yeah and uh we can retrain the metabolism right i would imagine um a lot of resistance kind of uh, going against the grain, so to speak, and uh, shifting yeah. that mindset, right? Yeah, yeah, there's, um, yeah, we've got to get them off the scale. You know, um, uh, we, we've seen countless times things like, you know, pant sizes go down while body weight goes up. And if you ask somebody on their first time in the gym, um, you, know, you show them a picture of, you know, one of the people on our testimonial page or somebody else in the gym and say, Hey, would you want to be built like this? They're like, wow. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to be built like that. Okay, cool. We're probably going to have to put 10 pounds, 15 pounds on you. And then there's panic. And you know, when you, when it takes a little while to get, get that message through that, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in mainstream dieting that yeah. is not conducive to actual nutrition. 
And um, there's a lot of reprogramming that has to happen in order, you know, kind of debugging, de-brainwashing people to be able to get to a point where they can create a truly healthy body because that's all that ever really matters with aesthetics anyway is getting really, really healthy. Yeah. And create a truly healthy body and then keep it that way. All the tricks and gimmicks have to go away. So you mentioned kind of the mainstream fitness uh, approach. So, so what's the big problem with the fitness industry, the mainstream approach? What, what's broken about the system? Oh, man. So uh, <laughs> Big question. I yeah, I thought, thought we were only doing an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, I know the show um, could take the entire time to uh, answer that question probably. But. Yeah, the, main, the mainstream approach is, um, is all about burning calories and um, – we have a, a public that is undereducated on what actually what it actually takes to get healthy. So I'll try to keep this as short as I can. But sure. um, we, um, we with with the mainstream prescription, when people walk into a gym, let's be honest, the vast majority of people that walk into a gym for the first time are looking to change the way their bodies look. And the the mainstream prescription, if you like, if you go to your doctor right now and you ask your doctor. Doc, hey, I'm, I'm overweight. Uh, why am I overweight? How do I lose weight? You, what you're going to be told is nine, nine times out of 10 is I, you, you, you eat too much and you move too little. And um, instantly, just on a side note there, you know, my waiver in my gym, like every waiver in every gym everywhere, says that, um, that you know, before you start a nutrition or, or, or nutrition plan or exercise plan, you need to check with your doctor. And I always jokingly say that it should say you need to check with your, your doctor, your hairstylist, and your mechanic because all of those people got exactly as much nutrition. I mean, you're, you're, it's just, there are great doctors out there, don't get me wrong, but your average doctor got nutrition the last time you did, which was in high school health class. And um, maybe sometimes they get one term and they definitely don't get a single term of exercise science unless they uh, are specializing. So um, yeah. we, you'll be told that you eat too much and you move too little and then they can wash their hands at you. You can come back in you know, a couple of months and be like, well, doc, I run a marathon every 15 minutes and I eat two calories a day. And if you're still fat, that's you're, you obviously still eat too much and, and move too little. And really what that approach does is, you know, we see that the typical woman comes into the gym and they're eating something like twelve to 1,400 calories in a day and they're doing a bunch of cardio, you know, multiple days a week doing a half hour to an hour of cardio, sometimes a lot more. You know, your typical runner is running, you know, 25, 30 miles a week in, in a lot of cases. And the message that's being sent to the body there is <clears throat> this is a terrible place to live. It's awful here on earth. It's really, really hard to stay alive and we're constantly having to move to escape something or to catch something and there's hardly any food. And so your body, this amazingly adaptive piece of, of, uh, of biochemistry and biology uh, adapts and it, you create a, a hyper-sensitive fat-storing machine super efficient fat storing machine that is really good at storing every little piece of, of energy that it possibly can in your fat cells, like just like you would in your pantry if there was a famine. And you have a body that's down-regulated uh, its metabolic rate. So your, your thyroid tends to slow down, your, your metabolism goes down, you don't have any energy because your body is trying to save energy for these, this next stress event you're going to put it through. Right. And then everything from your uh, lipoprotein lipase at the fat cell all the way down to, you know, there's some 
pretty good data out there right now showing that there's even appears to be a shift in the species in your gut microbiome that towards species that are better at extracting calories from food. Everything is designed to store as well and as efficiently as possible and to slow you down as much as possible to save energy to get you through this craziness in this awful place that we live. And <laughs> that is the, the mainstream prescription that everybody will tell you. Walk up to people on the street right now and go, if you're overweight, why are you overweight? And then how would you lose weight? And you will hear from damn near everybody yeah. that it is about how much you eat and how much you move. And um, those are, that's a problematic prescription because when you lose weight in a, and regain it in a, that yo-yo dieting fashion, and it's sure. interesting that I don't have to tell anybody what yo-yo dieting is. Everybody knows what that means. <laughs> right. You, you lose weight, regain fat, lose weight, regain fat. Yeah. And there's nobody listening to this podcast or anybody that's ever walked into my gym that's ever really wanted to lose weight. We want to lose fat, not, you know, body weight, yeah. muscle mass and all that. Sure. So, um, you know, I mean, that, that's just touching the surface of what I do. I mean, you want to talk about on a grander level what's broken with the fitness industry. Well, we've got, you know, a multitude of gyms out there right now. On the CrossFit front, we have a multitude of gyms that were all opened by CrossFitters, not fitness professionals. And then, um, you know, they, th this is really fun, and it's a two-day certification, so I can open one. So, you know, me, I'm surrounded by some, I don't know how it is in your area, but I'm surrounded by some really, really bad coaching. And then um, there's not enough gatekeepers to get into the industry, and it's really difficult for the public to be able to tell what good training looks like. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, you can be taught horrible form, and most of the time people will blame themselves if it doesn't work out. Like somebody goes in there taught really bad form on a movement, they hurt themselves, they say, well, I'm just not cut out for this. Like it's some, like being able to lift is some sort of character trait. You know, you, you have blue eyes and brown hair, and you're a good lifter. You yeah. know, and um, they won't blame the trainer. They don't, you know, don't blame the the, the coaching. Um, and uh, they, when it doesn't work out, they they walk away and say that's not for me. So there's there's just scratching the surface. We sure. Could go on about that for a long time, but I'm yeah. going to start sounding really bitter. And <laughs> <laughs> let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you the follow up. What's the number one thing you think that we can do um, to improve that? To improve the problems. Um, the, maybe the lack of education, um, the, the misperceptions that people have, what, what can we do to make it better? I mean, is there, is there a simple thing that we can do to oh, educate man. people? I don't know if there's a, if there's a, a quick fix, but I think, I think that if you're a gym owner or, or a trainer that you need to never stop educating yourself. And that if, if you, we can't really hold like a seminar with everybody in the world and tell them what exactly good training, you know, good coaching should look like. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, and then have them go out in the world and find a good trainer. But I think what you can do is on that first visit, you need to be doing a, well, I'll talk to both sides. If you're, uh, you're, you're looking for good training, or if you're a trainer, what needs to be happening between these two people is a detailed assessment in which information is being exchanged at the highest possible level where somebody comes in to my gym and we are analyzing the tiny little subtle movement patterns and deviations in movements like 
a squat or them just getting up and down off of a, you know, sitting down on a box, standing back up. We're watching the tiny little, what happens to the arch of the foot? Yes. What happens on a really subtle level at the internal rotation of a femur, things like that? Is there any kind of asymmetrical weight shift? We're picking things out that these people usually can't see even when we point it out to them. Right. And then we're explaining it to them in detail and taking them and showing them uh, positions and stretches that we put them in that show them imbalances and things like that. And I think it's hard to walk away from a gym like mine feeling like the next couple of places that you were at before or at after are doing similar work. And I think if you talk people through that and you show them what this should look like, that that's one more person that can't walk into a place and go, wow, this looks like fun. I'll stay here for a year until I hurt myself and never lose any weight. Right. Right. You know, educate them on that clinical level because what's happening in fitness right now is it's sport and, uh, uh, and fun and you've got an environment. Wow. These are all really cool people. <clears throat> You're right. There's no testimonial page at this place. I have no idea if these people are even getting results, but boy, it's fun. And, and that's not right. fitness. So yeah. educate yeah. them, show yeah. them that, look, you need to be doing everything that we're going to teach you when you're 80 and there's no reason why you cannot. So, um, let's, let's, Let's start educating people very, very quickly up front. And that weeds out the, the bad trainers. It weeds them out very quickly because yeah. they, you know, it takes me around a year to get my trainers to a place where I'm really starting to, to I'm really starting to be happy with their, with their eye, where they're seeing things out of the corner of their eye. I, I call it their, you know, makes their spidey sense go off and they see that that little movement and they, maybe they don't even know exactly what it is on that out of the corner of their eye. And they walk over and really start analyzing a movement pattern and go, you know what, you're moving just a little bit too much in your low back on this, or, you know, I'm seeing your ribs flare or you're not breathing right on this. And that's, that's the stuff that weeds out garbage training very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really uh, agree with that. And I think we have a long way to go, but last question about this subject before we move into some other areas here, but do you think that we're making progress? And what I mean is, do you think that people are becoming more educated and aware of what good training is and what good movement is? Again, we still have a long way to go, but do you think people are in general uh, becoming more aware? I don't know. Um, you know, I, there are a lot more people, thanks to movements like CrossFit, there are a lot more people that have come in contact with, with uh, barbells and lifting and becoming less afraid. So I think some of the brainwashing around that, especially with women, you know, I, I, like I said, my clientele is, is, is mainly made up of women who, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been very difficult. I would have been working a lot harder to put barbells in their hands. And um, so I, we, you know, we have to be grateful for those changes that have happened over the last, uh, you know, handful of years. But to say that there are more people that can walk into a gym and recognize good training, I, I don't, I don't know that I have that that data. I, I'd okay. say that there are, you know, people like us out there working really hard to try to get people to understand that stuff, but we aren't operating the super fun gyms. You know what I mean? We're, right. we're not operating the gyms where um, people are, you know I mean? Obviously we have good community and things are, and, and you know, it is, it is, it, it, it is fun when, when you get along with everybody that you're working with and you're having a good time. But, you know, 
we are stopping people in the middle of workouts when their form goes to crap. Sure. And that's not something you can do in an environment where the goal is to get everybody cheering and rooting for you and putting times on a board right. as if it was sport. And my goal when I walk in today is to see if I can beat that one guy who's always my nemesis. Yeah. You walk over to that person and stop them in the middle of a the workout, they're going to go, what are you doing? The timer is running. Like he just interrupted the whole softball game to tell me that I'm not throwing right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, that's not what is the, the, that's not the typical mindset. I, I've said numerous times on our own podcast and in blog posts and things like that. When, yeah. when you're going to the gym because the people are fun and you really love doing these workouts, it, it gets to, it starts to become a dangerous place. You, now you could easily overtrain because your goals have taken a backseat to the fact that being in the gym and doing this workout has now become your goal. Right. instead of the results that you walked in there for. Yeah. So um, I don't know that I can say that more people are recognizing good, good training, but more people all are using the tools that we use to deliver good training. I guess that's as yeah. far as I can go. I don't, yeah. and I'm not saying that more people aren't recognizing good training. I just don't have that data. Right, right. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I guess, you know, thinking about that question and how you explained it, I, I think I would agree with that as well. So maybe people aren't more aware of it going in, but I think people like, like you and I and other high-quality trainers um, that I've met are really, you know, focusing on the quality uh, over quantity and, you know, making sure that, the, you know, that people own movement skills, you know, and they're screening people before they have them do, you know, high level lifts and exercises and things like that. Um, yeah. so I, I, I totally resonate and agree with everything you said here and it's, it's completely my approach. And I, I love that, you know, you said it and I, I didn't even know that about your background, but, um, it just, it just so aligns with my own philosophy and, and listeners here certainly know that as well. Yeah. Well, so. you know, just on one little note, there's something you said that, that, made me think about another point to this. Uh, we, we will see people come from other gyms who have, you know, you know, a, a woman will come in and have, you know, be deadlifting something like 250 pounds, which is a, a reasonable, I mean, that's, we're, I'm, I'm not the type of gym you go to if you want to be a competitive lifter. I'm a type of gym you come to if you want to get really healthy and fit. So that's a really respectable deadlift. Yeah. And we will put those women on the ground in a breathing leg lowering type situation and watch their low back just pop up off the ground and they can't hold themselves stable and, 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 and keep their hips in line and their back in a good neutral position. And yet they're lifting these massive weights. And it's like everybody right now is training nothing but prime movers. And then everybody's on this one to two year rotation and nobody at, at this level doesn't have, you know, a couple of injuries. And it's, it's really frustrating because yeah. that's not, I don't, I don't train athletes and power lifters and Olympic competitive power lifters, competitive Olympic lifters. There's no reason for a woman with a 250 pound deadlift who's been lifting for a couple of years to already be complaining about the three things she's hurt, right. you know? So, right. um, it's, th there's another point there that I'm not sure that we have better training we have more people doing things that they're certainly not ready for yet. So there you go. Right, right. Well, th this is a huge, huge topic. I mean, we could definitely continue to talk about this, but I really wanted to talk to you about uh, paleo as well. So let, okay. let's uh, transition into that a little bit. So okay. let, let me ask you first, how did you discover uh, paleo nutrition? What, what got you into that uh, approach? Well, 
like I kind of alluded to earlier, I think, you know, I, I, I didn't ever start out as a, you know, gym rat. I was always kind of a geek and I just have gathered research and, and, um, read, uh, for a lot of years now. And, um, you know, gathered up studies, taught myself to read research, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you, it, you know, the only thing that really makes sense after a while is this sort of evolutionary biology approach. And if you, you read enough data and you don't stay married to your biases. Like if you're, you know, I, I absolutely believe that calories in calories out is the only thing that ever counts. So everything that I read, I will fit to that mold or I won't read it. You know, as long as you aren't that person and you're really willing to, to just read the research and look at what the data says, I just kind of think that all roads lead here. <clears throat> and it's, um, you know, I don't normally like to say the words, the paleo diet. I talk about this in my book, I, saying the words, the paleo diet leads most people to think about this, this way of eating in terms of every other, the blank diet they've ever heard of. They're right. looking at, you know, right. the Weight Watchers diet, the Atkins diet, the zone diet, the, you know, milk and cookies diet, whatever other unsubstantiated crap happens to be floating around at the time. <laughs> and in reality, um, <clears throat> Well, let's think about it like this. If you, if, if you were a zoologist, you, yourself, Scott, were a zoologist, and, um, you know, I was pointing out to you this big buck that was in the field across the street from my gym a couple of, couple of days or a couple of months ago, and you were here at my gym, you could walk up to my whiteboard and write out an entire list of things that that buck eats. And when we were done, that would be called that buck's diet. And that's a noun that, that is that this buck has a diet, right. like everything else on the face of the planet that consumes nutrition in any way, shape or form, everything has a diet and only humans ever use the word diet as a verb. We're the only ones that ever say we go on diets, do diets, we are dieting. And, and by that definition, we're talking about depart, departing from one way of eating to another way of eating with the express purpose of achieving some sort of result. I am overweight, so I'm going to eat this way. I am sick, so I'm going to eat this way. I, am, I want more energy, so I'm going to eat this, whatever. And we change the way we eat for some sort of purpose where everything else on earth has a diet. So paleo is literally just the question, what is the human diet? And, um, you know, when we ask people that, you know, say you have a diet too, just like all those animals, their mind starts wandering through the grocery store trying to figure out what are the healthy foods they've been told to eat, when in reality the grocery store has been there, you know, kind of like it is for maybe the past couple hundred years, and to have any kind of food trade at all, you have to have the agricultural revolution, which is about 10,000 years ago, and that's a flash in the pan compared to the 2.6 million years our species has been under development. So... Um, when paleo, paleo is basically just us looking at what is human nutrition, the human diet from this evolutionary perspective. So kind of trying to look at every place that we stepped off the path and then not necessarily saying that all those things are evil, but that they definitely are suspect. They need to be looked at more closely in studies and in a laboratory. But then we also need to extrapolate that question out from what does it what do humans eat to what does it take to make a healthy human? And then we're into the inputs of sleep, stress management, and exercise. And when we do all of those from an evolutionary perspective, we come up with how to create really healthy human bodies, which 
is also analogous to how to create really good-looking human bodies because all really healthy human bodies look great by accident. So the, you know, I mean, it's, this makes perfect sense to everybody when we're talking about animals, and it's just so weird that it doesn't make sense when we talk about people. Yeah. I don't remember who said it at first, but somebody a while back made the analogy that what, would, you, would you take a tiger out of the jungle, put it in a cage, feed it 40% of its natural diet, and then stand back and watch, just expecting it to become a perfect specimen of a tiger in peak health. Well, no, that's asinine. Everybody's like, wow, what a silly concept. Yeah. Well, what about humans? Should we do this with humans? Should we take them unbelievably out of their natural environment until literally nothing that you face on a day-to-day -day basis resembles at all how your body interacts with the world and then eat maybe as much as 40% of your natural diet, probably less on a day-to-day -day basis and expect to be healthy. And everybody goes, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You yeah, know, and that's what right. we do. Right. So it's... it's um, it's, it's weird how difficult sometimes it can be to get people to see the forest for the trees. But I think when we word it like this, then they, they kind of can go, okay, well, you know, maybe there's some merit here. Maybe we, you know, evolution did actually put all these, uh, uh, these natural, naturally selective forces on us. Maybe that stuff is valid and sidestepping it isn't... Um, isn't something that we're going to get away with. And we're not getting away with it. We have the only statistically significant non-infectious disease anywhere on the planet. I mean, there's nothing else out there dying of heart attack, stroke, cancer, or, you know, suffering from obesity and type 2 diabetes and all those things. This doesn't happen in the animal kingdom, in the anthropological record, or uh, anywhere amongst indigenous hunter-gatherers living today. So there it is in a nutshell. Yeah. So it sounds like you really stay, stay up to date, stay current with kind of the latest happenings in, in Palio. What, what do you do to keep on top of the data and, and updates in this area? Um, well, I follow a lot of, of uh, other bloggers that I know that are doing good research. And when I stumble upon studies, I put them out there just like they do. So, you know, on you know, places like Twitter are usually good places where um, the uh, the guys that I follow that, you know, f friends and uh, mentors like, you know, Rob Wolf and Chris Kresser and guys like that and right. that are uh, that are stumbling across the good research will we'll link them and share them with the community. And so we're all constantly looking. And then, um, you know, PubMed has every study ever, ever published is when a study is published, at least the abstract ends up there. And, um, you know, you wait long enough and, and most of them will become free in their, in their full text. But right, right. You know, I have some, I always try to keep a few of those valuable friends around who are still in college <laughs> who can uh, get yeah. those full studies for me so yeah. I can pour over them. Are, are you and, a study guy? Do you, do you like to read the, uh, the research, the yeah, full studies? I, yeah, I do. I do yeah. try to read the full studies on the ones that are relevant. Um, yeah. And it, uh, it, it's time consuming. I get a lot of it done when I travel. I yeah. will. I'll download a bunch of them onto my computer, and then when I travel, I'll try to to slog through as many of them as I can because I have to have to travel quite a bit, um, speaking and things like that. And then um, I, uh, you know, there it, when when the the people out there that are putting out new books that I either respect or disagree with, I try to go over their stuff and then you know follow their references out. Um, you know, the the more scientific guys are always going to have the books that have a lot of of the research. I am the guy that, you know, 
tried to uh, to to speak to the masses um, and and less to the to the researchers. But guys like Chris Kresser and Rob Wolf have you know extensive uh, research in the back of their books, and you can follow those studies and then follow out the references in each of those studies, and you can end up. Uh, down a very deep rabbit hole that goes on for weeks and weeks if you're right, not right. careful. Yeah, but it, yeah. you have to teach yourself how to read studies or, you know, learn enough about the scientific method to know when you're looking at good research and or you know poorly designed studies because you can get misled. So yeah, uh, it's it's a lifelong endeavor. I've been doing it a long time now, and uh, I've got you know I, I don't know, something I get think I'm getting close to around 1500 research papers that I've held on to and a lot more that I've I've read and looked at that you know had to be uh nitpicked but um yeah yeah it's it's I think it's important to understand the research yeah yeah I love um the research myself and um yeah I mean it's just something you know when you see a media headline for example and they say something about a new study I never ever take that for for what it's worth, you know, in the media until I actually read that study and understand all the, the limitations, study design and, and all that, that type of information. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. I, I think if you, if you're going to be a professional in this, in this business, you at least have to stay abreast of the research that, that affects directly affects what you do. But, um, you know, I'm, a lot of the research that I'm looking at on a regular basis is in psychology and stress management and the science of change and willpower and what happens in the prefrontal cortex, happiness, um, uh, you know, of course, all the stuff on sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So um, I, I, I just, I feel like, uh, you know, reductionism is what drives science. People get, they specialize and then they push their little specialization forward. But I think when it comes to health, reductionism is a horrible method for getting people healthy. If you, you know, uh, if you ask most trainers what it takes to lose fat, you're going to hear about exercising harder and burning more calories. You ask a nutritionist, you're going to hear about nutrient deficiencies. You ask an MD, you're going to hear about, um, uh, hormone panels and how we need to look at which hormones are off. If you ask a psychologist, they're going to oftentimes want to talk about why you don't have enough self-respect to take better care of yourself, you know? And yeah. the thing is, is that all of this stuff absolutely matters, right? Every single bit of it. And if we reduce this down to, um, one specialization, then you're, you're, you're failing people. So at least in the in the world of fat loss, I very, very much believe that you had better be reading in all of those areas. Stress management. I have clients yeah. that have their sleep, nutrition, and exercise perfectly dialed. And every quarter, their job gets hard and their body fat goes up. I mean, with all of those other things perfectly dialed. Yeah. And I guarantee you that 90% of the people that are listening to this right now <laughs> do nothing for stress management. Yet... They live in a world in which they probably can't remember the last time their stressors had anything to do with their survival, unless they were recently almost in a car wreck or something like that. We're looking at um, uh, jobs that suck, car payments, tough relationships, all of this, these things, you know, 
crappy politics and multiple wars and all of these things that we think about and do all day, you know, that calculus test you got to take, these have nothing to do with whether or not you're going to live through the day and that's why your stress systems were designed. And yet we do this all day long in a slow trickle and nobody's managing that, but they think if they go and just kill themselves for an hour in the gym, they're going to get to look the way they want. Right. It's, you're, it's you're, completely it's wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, Jason, let's talk about your book. So um, your book, The Paleo Coach, Expert Advice for Extraordinary Health, Sustainable Fat Loss, and an Incredible Body. What led you to write this book? And with so many paleo books out there now, how would you say that your book is, is different? Well, when I, my, my book's been out a year and uh, a year and a couple of months now. And it, um, when, I, when I wrote it, there was, wasn't that many. It was... Um, you know, Rob Wolf's book. Uh, the, so there was the paleo solution. Uh, it starts with food. And I think, um, uh, yeah, practical paleo was out a couple, few months before mine. Um, it, I wrote it and those, those books are all great. Rob Wolf especially was, you know, a very influential in my career and his book is fantastic. And I just don't think there's anybody that, that, has ever read my book that shouldn't have already read his or shouldn't end up reading his. Right. But, um, but what I felt like was missing was that we weren't talking about all of these other aspects of, of change and we weren't discussing the, the, the factors involved outside of just eat these foods, don't eat these foods, everything will be fine. And, um, and, and so... I just felt like there was this hole in all of it. And like, for example, there's this, this, this thing I've called the aesthetic goal conundrum that we experience here in the gym. And I wrote about it extensively in the book and you know, the, the, it's broken down into sections to think, eat and move are the sections of the book. And in that first section, that think section is where I was really trying to get through to people about what is happening in their heads that may or may not be inhibiting them from, from getting, the results that they want. And this aesthetic goal conundrum basically is an observation that I've made over the years that, you know, nine out of 10 people, when they come into the gym, they sit down, we ask them what they want to accomplish. And something that it looks like them pointing at parts of their body or pinching things and this sort of disgusted look on their face, um, is going to happen for most of these people. And the message is crystal clear. They're saying, I hate this body and I'll do anything to escape it. I want to not be in this body that I can't stand anymore. Can you help me make this body into something that I love? Right. And those people almost exclusively struggle and fail. And um, there's this other like one in 10. And these people come in and they are they're they're in a position where they they've come to realize that they they haven't been giving their body what it deserves and their message is basically i love this body can you show me how to take better care of it i can't believe i've let this happen or it's time to start taking the reins of this something to that effect and those people get results so fast that it makes everybody else's head spin yeah. And the, in the, the, the nine out of 10 come to that one person and they say, oh my God, how did you lose so much weight? How much weight have you lost? How far down is the scale? You look like you don't hate your body as much as I hate mine. And the, the, that one person says, look, 
I've got, you know, I have these huge lifts in the gym. My headaches are gone. I sleep really well. My hair and skin is better or better. I can work in my garden all day and I'm not exhausted. I'm not taking any medications anymore. And all you want to talk about is my pant size. It's, this is ridiculous. It's one yeah. little thing on this massive list of amazing things that I accomplished. And so I felt like what we needed to be talking about was that your perspective and your mindset have the ability to completely rob you of all of your results. And my book is not a raw, raw, you can do it book. It's a book that kind of calls people out and says, look, if this is where you're at, you need to change the way you think about this first, rather than going through this whole process again and putting one more mark on your psyche and your self-esteem for how you failed yet again and beat yourself up yet again. And you know, an example I use in there is uh, when we're talking about like motivation, for example, is let's say, uh, and, and I've given this example on a lot of interviews. So those of you that follow me, sorry, I'm going to give it again. Um, <laughs> if you were a smoker and you uh, were, you know, addicted to cigarettes, nicotine and had been for a long time. And somebody told you that, you know, I was able to hand you definitive proof that said, if you smoked one more cigarette, just one more, you would be uh you you would you would have lung cancer you would die within a year you would leave small children to fend for themselves nobody that you or i have ever known or respected anyway would ever smoke another cigarette they would be done they they're the cigarette they just smoked would be the last one they had ever smoked because after getting that kind of proof you would never do that again but the 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 biochemical nature of nicotine addiction did not change you didn't, it didn't suddenly get easier physically to quit smoking cigarettes. Your motivation just went through the roof. Right. That's, so if you get up every morning and you beat yourself up as you walk past the mirror you know, to the shower and you sling insults at yourself, and then later on in the afternoon you're having pizza for lunch and diving to the bottom of a tub of ice cream for, uh, after dinner, then your motivation isn't as high as it was in my nicotine example. And maybe it's time to call a spade a spade and wait until you, you do want it that bad yeah. before you actually put yourself through one more failure so that you can kick yourself around even more in front of that mirror. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. So I thought, I think that is the, some of the stuff that needed to be talked about. It wasn't, that wasn't being discussed. We weren't talking about the psychology of change. What happens with willpower? Um, why do some people succeed? Who succeeds and what's their attitude coming into this? What kind of little steps do they take to, to make these dramatic changes? And then what, what is their inner voice doing to them while they do it? Are they making changes all at once or are they doing in baby steps? You know, those, those are the types of things that nobody was talking about. And I just didn't feel like we could keep saying, here's the rules of this diet, do this stuff and all your dreams will come true because that's absolutely not the case. Dieting doesn't work. Diets don't work. Not even, you know, quote unquote, the paleo diet. Right. It's the whole approach is what you're saying. The entire, yeah. all the elements, all the things that you've talked about here, it's putting everything together. Right. To, okay. When you believe that you can get, you getting really, really healthy will make you look the way you want to look, then the sky's the limit. Yeah. Now, one thing that I think is great about um, your book is uh, the case studies that you have in here. And one of them comes to mind um, specifically, especially since you were talking about um, changes and having j just 
you know, a, a long list of changes, not just dropping the waist size. And in the beginning, uh, actually it's page 42, you have uh, Angela and you have uh, about four pages of all the changes, all, all the benefits, yeah. the results that she got. And right. it's, it's just amazing. So, I mean, is, is this typical from, from what you see with working with people? I mean, all these, you know, functional changes, feeling, uh, you know, the skin changes, all, all these radical changes in this person besides just fat loss and, and weight loss. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty typical. I think, I mean, it depends on where you're coming from naturally. If you're sure. pretty unhealthy, more things change. But it's just crazy what we will write off, like what people will be like, you know, um, I, my joints are starting to hurt. I guess I'm just getting old. Um, my hair and skin aren't that great anymore. I guess I'm just getting old, you know, and if you, your, your medical community will help you believe those things, they're happy to help you believe that these are the things that just happen because health degrades so bad in so many of us, but you know, even younger people, you know, onset pain and onset discomfort or onset issues that, that slowly start to step you outside of perfect health, when they happen slowly, we tend to accept them as if they're just the facts of how our lives are going to be. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have women who have, you know, thinning hair or people that have had migraines since they were kids. And it just, again, it just becomes something that they just start to think of as just them. And when you make a body really, really healthy, it's unbelievable what it can do. And there's just nothing that's off limits. Like I, I, it's when anybody comes to me with virtually anything, like I, you know, this is happening with my, uh, with my digestion. This is happening with my joints. This is happening with my hair, my skin, my, my, my attitude, my, my mental, my mental stability, my, uh, my mood, all of these things. It's, it's crazy that we will overlook inputs like exercise, sleep, stress management, and nutrition, all of these things going into our bodies in some way every single day, and then act like all of these things that are going wrong are just luck of the draw. Like that just, it's, it doesn't make sense. And the, the fact that over the, especially the last few decades, we've all been told that it's, everything's just genetic. And it's like, you know, getting uh, any, any sort, you get rheumatoid arthritis, for example. You get those things the same way you would get hit in the head with an anvil in a crowd in a cartoon. You're, you know, it just falls out of the sky and you happen yeah. to be the one that got hit. Now you have rheumatoid arthritis. You know, I mean, like, what? No. What? Are you serious? Like, what? <laughs> What is the cause right. of these things? Let's sure. back out, find out what causes these things, and then address the cause. Because if A causes B, how in the heck can C be the answer? Right. You know, so right. we, we got to go back and find A. So, yeah, when people get really healthy, everybody that I've ever worked with has always had at least a handful of things that they thought were completely unrelated that subsided or improved in some way, shape, or form. Every single person. Right. Jason, I got to ask you about this. So you, you've talked about stress a lot. Um, what's a simple technique or, or method that you teach that people listening to this podcast can, can use for stress management? What do you recommend? Um, I, I really like meditation. 
and I know that that just made a huge chunk of people tune out, but hear me out. I, I'm a scientist. I'm about as spiritual as a bucket of wet sand. I um, have, have always been science-minded, and um, I kept hearing good, you know, scientists, biochemists and, and physiologists and all these people that just know, know their stuff um, mentioning meditation offhandedly, and I just, I kept thinking, God, what is, what is going on? Who are, do I really trust these guys now? And I started looking into it, and there is stacks and stacks and stacks of solid research. I'm talking about neuroplasticity changes that are measurable in the brain with as little as 100 accumulated minutes of meditation. And so I started digging in deeper, and I... Um, there, you know, there's a few apps out there, one called Calm, one called Headspace, that if you want guided meditation. There's a fantastic book called Eight Minute Meditation and literally teaches you how to do this in eight minutes a day. I never, ever do more than 10 minutes at a time, like ever. And um, when I first started, I felt like an idiot. You do it for the first couple of weeks and every time you sit down and meditate, you feel like a big dummy. You're saying <laughs> things to yourself like, I'm not good at this, I'm doing it wrong, or meditation is stupid. And you do this over and over and over again until you, uh, you, it finally clicks. I think most people prior to that point give up, but it takes a couple of weeks and then one day you realize, oh my God, I have this big sentient brain and one of the curses of being able to think on the level that we can is also having this brain that I can't turn off, but now I'm starting to learn how to deal with the thoughts that run nonstop in my head as if they are separate from me. They're not myself. I can look at those thoughts objectively and say, for example, there goes a stressful thought like a cloud floating by in the sky and I don't have to grab it and latch onto it and go, I am a stressful person now because of that stressful thought and I don't have to overlay any beliefs on it. I don't have to come up with a whole story in my head for why that stressful thought exists. And um, I think a huge mistake that people make is believing that meditation is going and finding a you know, a happy place, you know, a beach to lay on in your mind for 10 minutes and, 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 and be uh, out of your stress. I mean, what it really is, is, is learning to actively deal with the way your mind works and sorting out those kinds of nonstop, um, you know, soundtrack of thoughts, thoughts in your mind. You're not, you're, you're not so much escaping your stress as you're literally exercising your ability to manage it. Right. And when you understand that and then you start doing it in, uh, I mean, if I can do this, anybody can do this. I, if, I have yet to <laughs> line up my chakras or find my center in the universe. Trust me. Yeah. There's nobody's religion or beliefs or um, anything about your spirituality that doesn't align with what I'm talking about right now because they're not related subjects. This is this is the scientific, scientifically backed, proven methodology for learning how to manage stress the exact same way that we go to the gym and lift weights to be able to manage movement in real life. And that's that's it. So I would hope that somebody would take those resources that I just gave you and at least go look and experiment with it for a month. 
Yeah. Meditate for 10 minutes every day for a month. If you don't see any benefit, email me at jason at everydaypaleo.com <laughs> and complain to me that I wasted your life. Yeah. I think there is benefit. I, I don't do it. It's something that we've talked about here on this podcast before. And, you know, maybe that is a missing uh, piece for me. I, I'm really kind of exploring some, some mindset things in, in training. And um, so that, that may be something that – that will be something that I will experiment with after our discussion here right now. So um, I would, I thanks. I would highly recommend thanks. it. Yeah. I want to ask you, I have to ask you this question. Uh, so there are some, some paleo skeptics out there and people maybe that are just skeptical about the approach, maybe don't understand the approach, or maybe people that have done it and have said that it it didn't work for them. What do you say to these, these paleo skeptics? Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of a terrible evangelist. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I, I do very little to try to convert people. I really, maybe I should okay. be trying to convert more people. Maybe I'd have a bigger career, but yeah. I, um, I hear you. I understand. I, I understand. I feel like I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a hammer when you need a nail driven. I'm, I'm a yeah. tool to get you healthy. And I have the facts to where I just don't ever lose these arguments. I mean, like I, but I don't get in these arguments very often. I just don't think that like when, when somebody is like, well, that doesn't work. Oh, okay, eat however you want to eat. Right. But, you know, I mean, if somebody comes to me and they're like, well, why should I believe that this works? Give me the details. Then I'll lay it out for them and we'll get deep into the science. We'll get deep about into what we know about, you know, grains and, and, and lectins. And we'll talk about um, metabolic flexibility and what happens at the fat cell when you don't adequately switch between fatty acids and, and, uh, and glucose is energy. Um, we'll talk about inflammation and all, how that affects all the, the, the diseases that we suffer from in, in Western society. We'll get into all of that, but like, I don't have that 30 second, like people say like, what, what's your elevator pitch for paleo? I'm like, I don't, I don't have that thing. I put out a lot of information you know, through a lot of different resources. And then people come to me when they're serious, but very rarely do I get in a situation where anybody asks, wants to argue with me. Yeah. And I feel like I can usually get out of those arguments pretty quickly. And I usually tell people, like Sarah and I always tell people, if somebody in your world is trying to tell you that what you're doing, if you're doing paleo is well, that's crazy. You're that, that, that you're all wrong. That's that, that doesn't work. Didn't you read this, whatever article or whatever detractor it just tell people that you feel better when you eat this way. And what are they going to say to you? No, no, you don't. You feel fine when you eat normal food. You know, they can't argue with you about how you feel right. and you can kind of get out of that. But I mean, I guess more to the point of your question, um, I just ask people to actually dig into the research. And if I was going to get into a big, long, drawn-out argument about it, starting from that evolutionary perspective, it, it gets really tough to argue with just the logic alone, even before you get to the research, of saying that, you know, we are the only pe- only things on the planet that suffer from the diseases that we do. We're the only creatures that ever sidestep what uh, our evolution laid out for us. And we are, our level of ill health is if you just looked at, at people, at non-healthy people as one big group, regardless of what they suffer from, then it's epidemic proportions. I mean, there is nothing else on the planet where literally the majority of the species is suffering from 
ill health in some way, shape, or form from non-infectious issues. That's just not what's happening amongst, you know, polar bears or right. lowland gorillas, right. you know? So right. it, it, you, we can keep fighting over the ridiculousness or we can read the research, but you also have the right, and I am proud to say that you have the right to spend the rest of your life unhealthy if that's what you want to fight for. Right. I do not care what you eat. People, like, I'll get together with people that, you know, for the first time and they're looking at me and they're ordering food and they're looking at me like I'm going to judge them. I don't care what you eat. I have friends that I've never talked to paleo about because they're not interested. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not here to change the world. I'm here to change you when you want help. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear that and I, I get that totally. So I appreciate your, your honesty with that answer. Um, I do want to ask kind of a follow-up to that though, but for, and I know this is not the majority of your clientele, but for athletes and maybe those that are trying to put on muscle mass, um, how, how does paleo fit into, to that, um, type of person? And are there maybe adjustments to the paleo approach? I I guess that's really the the key question is what adjustments would you make for an athlete? Someone that's trying to put on muscle mass. How would you adjust paleo for that? Well, um, I, I think that, that when you're eating the right foods, foods that your body understands and you can control things like inflammation, it becomes really powerful. I think that, you know, there are a, a, a lot of people out there on board with that that, you know, not, it wasn't that many years ago. And it's still sometimes in the powerlifting community especially, and even in bodybuilding and stuff, you still see those guys where the only thing that matters to them is calories and they just eat and eat and eat. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, pizza and Taco Bell, just get a lot of calories down. Right. You know, 20 years ago, I was there myself, but, um, but, you know, I mean, I think the majority of people out there have come to the conclusion, the majority of good coaches certainly know that food quality absolutely matters and nutrient density absolutely matters. If you want a body to respond the way that it, that, uh, you know, you want it to, when you're shooting for something like, muscle mass, which is a difficult goal. I mean, growing new muscle is not easy for anybody but brand new beginners. And so, um, you know, all the right steps have to be taken to keep a person healthy if you really want to achieve it uh, at, 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 a, at a good rate. So I think, um, you know, outside of that, most importantly is eating enough calories, eating plenty of food to fuel the way you train, and then addressing things like, you know, adequate amounts of protein and, uh, and fat, getting your, a lot of your ex- extra calories from fat. But then you've got to have enough starch and starchy vegetables, in my opinion, to really replenish muscle glycogen to make sure that you're not going to bonk in those workouts and run out of, out of uh, glucose, end up in a situation that just mainly your body starts to perceive as stress and uh, cortisol is produced. You're dismantling muscle protein to make more glucose through, you know, gluconeogenesis. So, um, you know, adequate calories and, um, and, and then the right macronutrient ratios, that's where it plays in. Whereas my typical fat loss client, I don't have them looking so close at macronutrient ratios. We're just mainly looking at whole foods. Yes. And um, mm-hmm. I think if you're really busting your butt on lifting big weights and packing on a lot of muscle mass, you do need to toy with your carbohydrate, protein, and fat levels. You need to, you know, a little bit of weighing and measuring, but you've got different goals than the person who comes to me with an emotional attachment to their food. You know, so it's safe, usually safer for the person that's looking at it from this perspective to weigh and measure their food and, and you know, uh, look more closely because you're not talking about a, 
an emotional relationship, you know, an unhealthy emotional relationship with food. You're talking about somebody who's got goals in the gym. Okay, Jason. So I, uh, I know we have just a couple more minutes here. So let me ask you about in the beginning, you talked about the nutrition seminars that you do with, uh, Sarah. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I mean, mo- mostly we're being hosted by gyms and, you know, we're talking to a, around a hundred people and we're, um, so we don't, we don't go a ton into exercise in those because we're in, in, uh, other people's gyms and, and trying not to step on toes. So they're mostly about, paleo nutrition and then we do cover some of the stuff on stress and sleep and all that kind of stuff but um uh we've just recently added a movement day uh to the seminar that's coming up in in uh, just like 10 days nine days we're doing a seminar where we're having one day that's just the lecture the next day is uh is we're going to actually be teaching uh the movements and the strength and conditioning side so um, I think we might make that the norm from here forward. Uh, they've been pretty popular. We usually end up doing about one a month and uh, have a blast doing them. They're actually one of my most favorite part of, of uh, my career. I like to get out there and, and meet people and and uh, answer questions and, and get to help people on on a more personal level than what we're doing on the podcast and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, they've been they've been really good for us. I love them. Where do people go to uh, to find out about the seminars? You can go to everydaypaleo.com and then hit the workshops tab. And there's a little button there that says, uh, attend a workshop. And there's another one that says book a workshop. If you have a location where you can hold enough people and, um, you know, when you, you fill out some information there and our, our crew will, will get in touch with you and ask you a bunch of questions. Fantastic. Well, I have one more big question for you, but before I ask you that question, is there anything else that you want to say about your book or your podcast or, or your services or anything like that? No, I think in the beginning I gave everybody all the places where they can find me. All right. All right. Fantastic. All right. So, so the goal of every show obviously is to, is to educate people, inspire people and, and really make a difference in people's lives. So I want to ask you, someone that's listened through this entire interview, what's the one big action that they can take away right now and apply? Um, right away, um, go out today and start walking more. And I guess I'm going to give you two. Yep. Go out and start walking more and, and start. You don't even, don't even need to change anything in the way you eat. Just start reading, start educating yourself. Try not to get caught in analysis paralysis, but you know, where you just can't do anything because you're so busy reading everything that uh, you can't make a move, but get out there and start learning so that you, you, you're answering enough of your own questions that you can believe in this change. Other than that, start moving your body. If you're not exercising at all, start walking. If you're already walking, then you got to start running out of lift, which means you need to ask for some help. Yep. And those are the two places I would start. I think that's great advice. And I'm going to follow up to that and say uh, start reading. And if you haven't read The Paleo Coach by Jason Seib, definitely get that book because it's a really, really fantastic book. Um, I, you know, that's why I wanted to bring you on the show. When I, when I started reading the book, I knew you were very authentic and genuine and in the information that you're sharing, uh, this is a unique book. And, uh, if you look at Amazon, you'll see hundreds of positive reviews about this book. So I highly recommend, uh, the paleo coach. So Jason, thank you so much. This has been a awesome interview. Um, tons of great content. I hope that everyone gets a ton of value from it. I thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was was a lot of fun. Maybe we can do it again. Absolutely. 
Well, I hope that you got great value from that interview. I certainly enjoyed it, and I really appreciate Jason's straightforward and no-nonsense approach to both strength training and nutrition. So I'm really glad that I was able to get him on the show and he was able to share just some great, great insight. I'll probably have him on again in the future and maybe we'll take a whole show to talk about his strength training approach because it's so similar to my own. So uh, thank you so much, Jason, for sharing uh, great information in this session. I really hope that you take action with this information. I hope uh, you know you can come away with one big thing that you can uh, learn and apply right now in your own training, in your own nutrition. I definitely recommend his his book, Paleo Coach. As I mentioned in the beginning, I think it's a great read. No matter where you are, no matter how many different books you've read on Paleo, I think that there's always something to learn. So it's a really good book, and I think it's a really uh, unique book as well. Also consider things that he talked about like stress management and sleep. You know, stress management is one thing that, as he mentioned, people could have their training and nutrition really dialed in, but yet they're not managing their stress appropriately and that could really sabotage our training. So that was one thing that I'm going to take away personally. And, you know, we've talked about this meditation before. I I know I've had that discussion with other guests on the show and, Honestly, it's something that I have not implemented yet, but I think that he gave some really simple advice and um, had some great resources, which, by the way, I'll have resources for things that he discussed in the show notes for this episode. So anything that you want to know about, um, definitely check out the show notes for episode 65, and I'll have some of the links and resources that were mentioned in this show. So consider that as well. So one final uh, resource as as I've mentioned the past couple of shows, to accelerate your learning and uh, continue to always expand your knowledge base, Audible audiobooks is a great way to do that. I really recommend that because it's a great way to, when you're in the car, if you're listening to this, certainly you're listening to podcasts, but another way to uh, maximize your learning is to learn through audiobooks. So to get a free trial, Go to audibletrial.com slash train. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash train. And check out your free trial. There's a ton of great books on Audible's site if you haven't taken advantage of that already. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I have uh, some really amazing guests, some surprising guests coming in uh, the next couple of weeks on future episodes. So I think you're going to get a ton of value from what will be coming as well. So uh, that does it. As always, train strong, train safe, and I'll see you on next week's episode. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.